welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. I'd like to welcome you here. If you're with us for the first time joining us, our church is amazing. I can say it and I am biased, but I'm hoping I'll be able to prove it to you and that God will speak as I speak, that you'll hear His words, not mine. And I'm truly believing for that today. For those of you that are joining us online, good morning and welcome. I'm praying that you're blessed too, wherever you are in the city. If you're at home enjoying a well-deserved rest, enjoy. Shall we pray together before we start? Let's go. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray right now that like I said, as I speak, that it will be Your words that are spoken, that me will go to one side and that Your Word will come alive as I read it, that people will grab hold of it and understand the intentional life and purpose that You set just for them. Bless this Word. Bless the Word that comes out of Your living Word and each person hearing it. Amen. Great. This month's theme is I Believe. And I think this was a good one for 2020. Don't you think? I think this is a year that is shaken, not what we believe necessarily, but why we believe it. And for some of us, you'll see on Facebook and Instagram this a lot. 2020 is the year that people want to throw away, do over, let's forget it happened. I'm not in that camp because I don't believe God does things for no reason. Or if something happens, I don't believe He's not going to use it. Okay, so for me, 2020 has been a challenging year. And I'm sure for all of you, there would have been an aspect that was challenging or or still is financially, relationally, all these things changed in 2020 for us. But I'm not going to talk about the pandemic today because I feel like it's had enough (laughs) space and time for a lot. It feels like a long year, let's put it that way. But you know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about the fact that there's this pandemic. Who do we listen to? The voices that are shouting the loudest a lot of the time are who we choose to listen to as humans. The loudest voice gets the most attention. As a teacher, the kid that's talking the loudest, that's doing the most annoying thing, gets my attention first because I want that to stop. Okay, but that doesn't necessarily mean we should be following the loudest voice because it's not always where we're meant to go. So today I want to focus on living an intentional life, a life that's set apart by God and for God. You see, the difference with that is every life is set apart by God. Before you're even conceived, there's a plan and a purpose made uniquely just for you. But a life set apart for God is intended by the human to actually do. That's our choice whether we set our lives apart or not. We get a choice along the way. Now, the only way I think we know how to follow this plan and purpose well is to look at the life of Jesus. And that's what I want us to do. And when you look at His life and death, you realise it was all on purpose. Jesus' life was not a roll with it situation. Take it as we find it. It was very planned and it was very purposeful at the same time. And this plan that God had for him, he still had the choice, like we do, whether he was to choose to follow it or not. He ultimately knew it would end in his death. And we remember him praying, saying, you know, if there's any other way, God, do it. Otherwise, I will submit to your will. So we see here the human Jesus that was ready He was ready to give up his life for us. But yet if there was a way out, he was willing to take that too. But he followed the Father's plan. And I think that's really important that we take hold of it. You know, I've got here that giving our hearts to him, declaring that we're a Christian, believe it or not, that's the easy part. A lot of us think at the start of our journey, that's the hardest thing to tell people, guess what, I'm a Christian now. My life is different. But no, giving up your life is the hardest part. When you decide to submit everything under the Creator and the Lordship of Christ, that's when it becomes hard because your relationships change, your job will change, your church life will change. Everything will become 
different as you decide to be intentional with how you're living. The Creator always defines the purpose of the creation. It's never the other way around. Okay, microwaves don't tell the engineer what they're going to do or how they're going to work. The engineer decides how the microwave will work, what functions it will have, and it's designed for a specific purpose only. We are exactly the same. Do you know who you're designed to be? Do you know the plans that God has for you? If you do, great, but are you doing it? Are you living out those plans intentionally? Has God called you to preach? Are you preaching? Are you practising? Do you study the Word? Has God called you to work in kids' church and you're avoiding it? (laughs) I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, that's the one area that people seem to struggle with. (laughs) We love our kids, but, you know, working with children is a calling. Definitely is. (laughs) But intentional, this word, it's an adjective. Now I'm going to go into teacher mode. I love adjectives. Adjectives are describing words. Now, if you are writing a piece of writing, if you read a book without adjectives, it's going to be very, very boring. If someone talks to you without adjectives, it's very boring to listen to. The cat sat on the mat gets boring. Kids don't want to keep reading that. But the very fat cat who sat on a little orange mat is a lot more interesting to hear. Am I right? Yeah, so adjectives are important. That's your sideline. That's what you're going to take away. You can teach your kids that. But anyway, intentional is an adjective. It's a describing word. And here it is. It is bought, what have we got here? It's deliberate, meant, planned, studied, designed, purposed, intended, calculated, willful, premeditated, prearranged, done on purpose. You kind of get my drift where I'm going with this, don't you? All of those, even though they're describing words, they're very strong, active words. They mean that the person doing them actually has to do something. It's not good enough to say I'm an intentional Christian, but you actually don't show anybody your intentions, okay? If you're living it on the inside, it's not intentional. We're not meant to just drift on through this Christian life. We never were meant to do that. God didn't give us a purpose and a plan for us just to decide when and where we want to do it. But you know, you can be intentional wherever you are, with whoever you are, whatever you're doing. I truly believe that. And I'm not talking about being boring, rigid or so structured that you're living this intentional Christian life, that you're no fun to be around. That's not what I mean. I can hear all those people, you know, those party people, they're like, oh, do I have to become that person? No, you don't. Your personality is always going to be used by God. You can be spontaneous and fun and be intentional at the same time. You can witness and talk about Christ at the beach, at a barbecue. You can do it at your basketball game. People can see Christ in you on the bench when you're really frustrated and you show that you've got that strength of character not to shout out at the other team not to deliberately fail. And as a parent on the bench, I'm learning how to keep my mouth closed, not comment (laughs) on other things. It's developing my character, let me tell you. And a lot of people are surprised by that. They think I'm a controlled person, but when you're the parent of a player and you see what's going on, the rage starts. (laughs) But you know what? We can be so intentional in every sphere of our life. And I truly believe this. I don't mean, oh God, where's my parking spot? You know, show me, show me, Lord, what I should eat for dinner tonight. Talking about all of that stuff. And if you do that, that is fine. I'm not criticising that. But I'm saying being intentional does not have to be deliberate preaching, does not have to be deliberate witnessing even. It comes out in who you are. So I want us to go to the life of Jesus, like I said, to find our example. Jesus' birth was prophesied so many times in the Word. And do you know what? They were specific prophecies, even down to the city that He would be born in. Why did God make these prophecies so specific and so many? 
The reason is that God wanted the Jewish people to understand that the Messiah, the Messiah would be Jesus and only Jesus, that He was the only man that could fit the bill. There was not gonna be someone that could come along and claim, hey, I'm the Messiah, because those prophecies only fit one unique person. And I believe that your prophecies, the things that God prophesied over you before you were born are as specific as that that He's only created a plan and a purpose just for you, okay? So you might sit next to a person in church that's also in the worship team. Great, you both have creative gifts, but that doesn't mean your plan and purpose is exactly the same. And sometimes in church life, we confuse this. We think, well, I'm using my gifts. I'm using my gifts. God's using me like everybody else, or I've got the same gift as them. What use is that? The use is that yours is going to be different. It will manifest in a different way. And God has a specific plan just for you. Please never think that your gift is not to be used or that your plan and purpose isn't as important as somebody else's. Okay, so Jesus had these prophecies and I'm not gonna go into them today, but if you get time, read them. When you read them all as they're supposed to go in line, you realise how amazing it is that God set up Jesus' birth ready for the Jewish people. They'd waited for this blessed Messiah. But His life was designed, planned before He came to earth, a long time before. Because of this, His life was meant to be imitated. And that is so intentional that God made Him a man for that reason. If God had left Him as God, the Almighty came to earth, it would be really hard for us humans to imitate that. Am I right? But because He was a man, we look at this life and we say, I can do that too. I can be intentional and live just as Jesus lived. And When we look at this, 2,000 years later, I can pick up that Bible and I can become just like Jesus if I choose to be. If I really wanna study who He was and imitate it, there it all is laid out for me. But I wanted us to jump ahead. We're gonna jump ahead to when His parents lose Him. Now, I don't think that was part of the parents' plan. I don't think that was part of their purpose to lose their child. And you don't know real panic until you think you've lost your kid, am I right? But this was not, hey, I'm in Bunnings, he's gone down another aisle, where is he? This is not that. This is a day's journey on foot and suddenly they realise he's gone. So you can imagine they're thinking, we have been travelling for a day and I don't know where he is. Now, to give you background context, they're travelling to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. This only happens once a year. Now, the Jews had many holidays they were encouraged to celebrate, but Passover was the one that was mandated. They had to do it. And it was because they wanted to honour the fact that God had brought them out of slavery and to celebrate that they were free people now. So they would travel as a caravan, meaning a large group of people. It wasn't just Jesus, His parents and siblings. It wasn't us four and no more. It was like a whole church of people saying, I'm gonna travel to another city to celebrate this holiday. So when we put it in context, we can see how a child could get lost in a big group if they were travelling with their friends. Also important to note, Jesus is 12 years old at the time. This is one year in the future, He will be a man in Jewish tradition. So He's not a little boy anymore. He's seen as just on that threshold of manhood. And it's really interesting. So the background of that story is really important because we're gonna pick it up just in Luke chapter two, verse 46. I wanna take it from there. Now it was that after three days, they found Him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to them, Tim, to him rather, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I sought you anxiously. 
I love it how it's the mum that says this. It's always mum like, why are you doing this to me? I'm going to have a heart attack, don't you reckon? Meanwhile, dad's in the background going, I knew he'd turn up (laughs) eventually. (laughs) Dad doesn't seem as worried as what I'm saying. But anyway, the son says back, and another typical boy thing, he says, so why? Why did you seek me? Did you not know I would be about my father's business? Some translations say, did you not know I'd be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he said to them. A couple of interesting things here. The boy is sitting. He's not only listening to the Bible scholars, but he's understanding what they're saying. Now, this wasn't a youth service. This wasn't even a sermon like we understand today. These scholars were trained in the law and the Scripture. It was quite highbrow stuff. So for a child to sit, not only understand, but to ask insightful questions, to open this dialogue was amazing at the time. So Jesus is able to do that. And the other thing that's interesting to know, in 20 years later, just 20 years in the future, He would be the same teacher in those courts. So you see Jesus, His purpose was set and He was already intentionally beginning His plan even as a child. He knew where He was meant to go and He began it quite early on. Intention is everything. It really is. Secondly, we see in verse 48, Mary refers to your father and I have sought you anxiously. She's talking about herself and Joseph, his earthly parents. But verse 39, 49, sorry, Jesus is referring to His heavenly Father. He says, I'll be in my Father's house. He's talking about His Father's business and how He's obviously convinced, hey, this is where I'm meant to be right now. This is what I need to do. It wasn't a rebellion for Him. It wasn't a 12-year-old trying to get away from His parents, run away from home. It wasn't that situation. It was a compulsion to learn and to do the Father's will. This is the same for us, or it should be. We should have that same compulsion to be like, God, I know what your plans are for me. Help me grow. I wanna learn more for you and about you. Once we know God's plan, we have to begin to follow it. There is not time to waste anymore. But you know what? It should come with the knowledge that some people will not understand. They will not understand the plan. It doesn't mean that they don't care about you, that you're not loved. It just means they genuinely can't or don't see why you're doing what you're doing. Do you know, Jesus' parents knew He was the Son of God before He was born. When He was conceived, an angel appeared and said, you will carry the Son of God. They knew that and they still didn't understand the plan, the full plan that God had for Jesus. They were still confused when their child said He'd be about the Father's business. So if you're taking notes, here's your first one. Don't expect everyone to understand the plan and include yourself in that because you will not always understand what God's doing. True faith does not require understanding, okay? We're under a lie if we believe that every purpose and plan, God is going to lay it all out for you and you're gonna understand every step of the way. That is not how it works. I wish it was. God does give understanding, but it doesn't mean He always will. And you may only get part of that understanding at the time. Sometimes God will give you the plan first and it's up to you whether you choose to follow it in faith. The proof of this comes from Scripture. And I want us to take a look at 1 Corinthians 13 and it's the love Scripture. Every Christian wedding you go to, someone does a reading of 1 Corinthians 13, including my own. Why do we do that? Because when we're getting married, we think, oh, you know what? This is what marriage should look like. (laughs) You know, we should be loving. This is how we treat each other. It's naive, but it's beautiful at the same time. (laughs) And I do love my husband very much, but I can tell you 1 Corinthians 13 is something that takes a lot of practice. (laughs) But I'm going to take it from verse 8. And this is the part where we don't look at as much. We don't normally read this part out, I don't think. Some people may. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. 
but that which is perfect has, sorry, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I am also known. You see, Paul wrote this to the Corinthians because they had this exaggerated view of the value of gifts like tongues and prophecies. They thought they were the best gifts. They were the things that they really sought after. But they undervalued the graces of love and faith, those things that are eternal gifts. So Paul was trying to show them, hey, you're putting more value on the temporary rather than what actually matters. All of these things, tongues and prophecies are important, but one day you will not need them anymore. Faith and love never, ever goes away. It's eternal. And I know for myself, I've often undervalued the gift of faith and preferred understanding, preferred knowledge. Hey, God, tell me what's going on. Before I commit to this ministry, this plan, this purpose you've set for me, can you give me a bit more background information? Give me the details. Tell me how this is going to turn out. Is it going to be hard for me along the way? Are people going to support me in my journey? You know, these are the questions we often seek from God rather than saying, hey, I know I can trust you with the plans and purposes you've set for my life. So looking at verse 12, though, is vital. And I love this part. And it's saying, now we see in this mirror dimly. In the morning when I put my makeup on, I want a clear mirror. Sometimes. (laughs) Most mornings I do. But this mirror is dim and it's dim for a reason. And you might say, why would I want a dim mirror? But the important part is not to think about why, or why is it dim, the negatives, but rather the positives, because dim means you can always see something. It means you're not blind. It means God doesn't just give you something with nothing to go on. He will always provide something for you to run with, some sort of vision, some sort of dream, a person, whatever it is. He doesn't leave you out in the cold and say, do it alone. It's not like that. But yet it won't be as clear as you would probably like it to be. Face to face, our hope is at our full purpose. One day I'm going to be face to face with God and I will fully understand the plans and the purpose He set for me here on earth. It's all going to make sense. We hold on to that hope. I'm encouraging you to do that too, especially when things don't make sense. Hold on to the hope. One day it will. God knows everything about us. And it says that, that one day we're going to know just like He knows us. But how much do we truly know about Him? And I think as Christians, we've taken a cop out And I hope this is not offensive, it could be, but you take it as you want, but it challenged me. I think we say God's mysterious, He's a spiritual being, who can really know Him? But we make that an excuse not to know Him at all, or maybe to know a little bit about Him, but not to really get Him to know Him intimately as father to child. When Jesus spoke about His Father, He meant in the intimate sense, like a dad. He wasn't talking about a heavenly father who's right over here who he could not relate to. He wasn't talking about a God he worshipped only on a Sunday or that he could just speak to briefly. He was talking about someone he was close to. You know, the people we love best, the people we know the best are the ones we defend the most. They're the ones that you say, no, I couldn't believe they would do that or they wouldn't, they they couldn't behave like that. I mean, I get parents saying it all the time and I'm like, they do. (laughs) Kids do behave badly at school, Let's, let's be honest. But what I'm saying here is that we defend those that we love. We, want, we see the best in them. And if we truly love God and Jesus and we know them well, we will defend Him to people that are saying things about the church or God. We'll say, hang on a minute, let me set the record straight. Let me share my experience of God with you. That's what you do when you know somebody and you love them so much. You want people to know the best about them, 
not the worst or not a rumour or slander or gossip. So are you being intentional and getting to know him and his character? Are you? Because I know that's been a challenge for me. Let's learn about his character more. It's not about me, it's about him. Jesus was intentional with his message and also who he spread it to. He spoke to those in need. He'd go individually to those that actually needed him. But he often waited for crowds to gather too. He'd speak to the crowd. But he did not chase people, especially people that didn't want anything to do with him, that didn't want to hear the message. That was not Jesus' business, okay? He was looking for people who had a genuine hunger and desire to know more, to learn more. I want us to look at a famous passage now in Luke. Luke chapter 6, 27, we're gonna take it from. This is in the words of Jesus, I love this. But I say to you who here love your enemies, do good to those who bless you, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, do to them likewise. Because if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those to you, who do good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners can do the same. And if you lend to those who, home, um, who will give you back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners will lend to sinners to receive as much back. Love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the men of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. To be intentional, you must treat others the way you'd like to be treated. You've heard this before, you've said it to your kids. It's one of those things we talk about. It should be an unconditional law, shouldn't it? But instead we put subconscious conditions on this law all the time. I will give to that person, but if they don't offer to me pay, pay me back, then I won't do it again. I will love them, but if they don't, you know, add me on Facebook or include me in their events, then, you know, we're not going to be friends. You know, there's so many things I could say about that Scripture, the fact that we put our human conditions on love all the time and how we treat people. We are not intentional sometimes, we are reactive. But Jesus was specific in this verse and He was specific in saying, it's not enough for you to do as the sinners do. I expect more of you because you're a child of the Most High. And a child of the King means you act like royalty. Jesus once again was intentional in that verse by pointing us to the Father and ultimately heaven. That was His goal. He focuses on the fact of so much of what we're doing is not for now. It's not for the temporary, rather it's set up for the eternal. This is our goal to reach, our ultimate purpose. Am I right? Not only to get to heaven, not only to be a good Christian on earth, but to take as many people with you as possible. And the way to do that is being an intentional Christian. This year I've been challenged on my intentionality. I really have been. I've always worked in Christian schools with Christian staff. And can I be honest, these people were taught to love each other. Not only taught, but expected to. We're expected to get along. We're expected to turn the other cheek if someone's having a bad day or maybe they're not the easiest person to work with. You don't gossip about them. You get on with it and you make the best of it. I now work in a government school and it's very different. It's a different environment. We're expected to look out for ourselves and with that to treat others the way they treat, they treat us. So that's a reactive environment, like I just said, not an intentional one. It's based on what are they doing for me? How do they treat me? Then I react to that. But Jesus taught me this year that who I am is not based in anything else but Him 
And it doesn't change depending on the environment I go to. I may not work at a Christian school, but I am a Christian. (laughs) Okay, that has not changed. My identity in Christ should be set so much that who I am on Sunday doesn't change to who I am in my home, doesn't change to when I go to work, that my morals and my character remain the same, that people who know me know who I am and can say a good report about me. They don't say that horrible teacher, oh, on a Sunday she's up there preaching. My character needs to align is what I'm saying. And I'm challenged by that constantly, that who I am does not change. I will not adapt to my environment. I think that's important for us to be aware of. Living in this day and age, we cannot adapt to our environments. It's a lot easier to work alongside people who believe the same, who will encourage you in your faith, whose foundations are generally similar. It's a lot easier to live with people like that too. But that is not always the situation we find ourselves in. So this is when our faith needs to kick in and we say, God, help me. Help me to remember that purpose and plan that you set just for me, that that has not changed, even though I may not enjoy this environment or this one either. There've been many times this year where I've said, no, I won't do that. Or no, I don't work like that. Or even in my head, I've thought, I don't need to fight that battle. God help me. Without His Spirit, I don't think I would have gotten through. I'll be honest. I would have been a lot more confused on where I was going in this situation. You see, at the end of the day, who are we living for? Who are we living for? Audience of one. We hear it all the time. An audience of one is Jesus. Jesus didn't strive to be popular, but He always had a following. So while I'm saying we don't live for anybody else, it does not mean we become abrasive, harsh Christians that no one wants to be around. Those people that are preaching constantly and telling people how to live. That is not what Jesus did and that is not what we should strive to be either. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.